I had this class of uh, year nine and ten boys. It was a graphics class. I could even tell you the room that it was in at the school here. And uh, they were sitting up the back, uh, working on computers, working on their graphics. And uh, we were having this conversation, what are you going to do when you leave school? And you know what one of them said? Uh, one of them said, my goal when I leave school is to get on the dole. <laughs> and it's like, he's up, big fella. Like, don't, don't shoot too high. You might not get it. You know, make sure you aim for something that's achievable. Here's the thing, no one when they're a kid decides in their minds that they want to grow up to be an idiot, do they? It's like my goal in life is to be stupid, like no one ever really says that. I've never heard it, I worked in schools for 19 years, no one ever said it to me, no one. You know, ever since I was a kid, I remember just thinking I want to be wise, I really want to be wise, that's, that's what I want to be. I, I, I often prayed saying to God, would you please make me wise? Now, I'm not saying that I haven't done lots of stupid things. All right? I have done lots of stupid things. But here's the truth. I'm wiser than I was 20 years ago. And I trust that's the same for you. And that's normal. To grow in wisdom is a normal thing to do. In fact, if you're sitting here now and you're going, I'm stupider and more of an idiot now than what I was 20 years ago, there's a problem, right? Is everyone with me? I hope that you've grown in wisdom. That's what's normal. What's wisdom? Well, wisdom is skill in living. It's discernment. It's a capacity to understand. It's just being skillful about doing life. How are you going with growing in wisdom? You're going to need a Bible today. So if you don't have one, you're welcome to go and grab one from up the back. We're going to go to Ephesians 5 and uh, look at verse 15 to 21. This is the... uh, the text for today. Ephesians 5 verse 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk. I don't know whether you remember, but in the previous section last week, one of the things Paul said is normal to do if you've become light because of what Jesus has done inside of you is to actually expose the works of darkness. So it would make sense. Like if you're exposing the works of darkness, you need to be pay attention and concentrate to make sure that there's no dodgy darkness going on in you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be what? Foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's really saying here, concentrate and be careful. Not just knowledge, but skill in living. You need to be careful about how you live. I mean, there's a sense here also, you know, like knowing the will of God. Well, what's the will of God? Well, there's this redemptive grand plan that God's on to save people, to change people. And he's, he's come in the person of Christ and has died to make that happen. And there's a sense in which here it's saying, like, if you know that, if you know that, that what's, that's what God's up to, then live in a way that kind of fits in with that. So today I've got two points. Here's the first one. To grow in wisdom is normal. Here's the big idea. Wisdom is really about being truly human. That's what it is. And Paul here is saying, grow in wisdom. This is really, really normal. Look at this from Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in what? Wisdom. 
and in stature and in favour with God and man. Jesus is the true human. So if it's good for him to grow in wisdom, it's good for us to grow in wisdom. Always. Idiocy, on the other hand, is not normal. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like idiocy might be funny, but it's not kind of a normal kind of truly human thing to do. Think back on your life for a moment. Think back about all those times in your life where you gave in to temptation. Think of the times where you were stupid. Does that look normal? <laughs> Did it feel normal? Does it look like a normal human thing to do? Or does it look like a subhuman thing to do? You see, there's a sense in which growing in wisdom means that we can actually learn to say no to desires and temptations that we'd want to take over us. You know, I mean, if you look biblically at Christian identity, if you love Jesus, you're a divine warrior who grows in wisdom. That's, what, that, that's one of the things you are, a divine warrior that grows in wisdom. Listen to this from John Calvin. This is on the first page of his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says this, Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. As much as you grow physically, it's right and it's appropriate for you to grow in wisdom. It's right for that to happen. It's not just information. It's the knowledge of self, it's the knowledge of God and the interplay between those two. You see, it's God's wisdom that makes all the difference and God's the one that actually helps us to know ourselves well. But he calls us to centre on him and to know him and that wisdom and insight and understanding actually come from that. Listen to this from Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, it's wise to centre your life upon God. It's understanding and insight to know God, to get to know Him. And it's not wise to not centre your life upon God. That's foolish. God is the one that helps us to know ourselves and to know Him. And that's where the that's where wisdom comes from. Are you you all with me at this point? Okay, we'll kick into a bit of application here. Our culture is wise sometimes and not wise other times, all right? Let me give you a couple of examples where there's some cultural wisdom that actually helps us to grow in the wisdom that God would have us to grow in. Here's the first one. I think generally our culture would have a vibe or has a vibe that forgiveness is a good thing. True? I just think forgiveness is good. People talk about that and that's really helpful. It's like not only is God kind of calling us to do this, but culture as a whole is actually doing it as well. It makes it a little bit easier to kind of grow in wisdom because those things are kind of in sync. Here's another one. And this, I've got to qualify this one a little bit. Self-control is good. Now, some of you might go, I know a lot of people have no self-control, Right? But just think for a moment, there is a whole section of culture in Australian culture that is about diligence and self-control and exercising and eating. I mean, we live in a weird culture in a sense because you've got this whole side of our culture that is highly disciplined or promotes discipline and then you've got this whole side that doesn't promote it at all and it's like licentiousness. I mean, you probably don't follow the NBA but there's... uh, 
there's this really, really, a player who's really hot at the moment in the NBA is Kyrie Irving, and he plays for the Boston Celtics. And uh, he, he actually says the reason why he's playing so well this year is because he's gone vegan. <laughs> All right? Which may or may not be the case, but that, that's a reflection of a part of society that actually is highly disciplined. And that, that kind of can help us a bit, right? That can actually help us that there's that side of society that's that side of culture that's self-discipline, it can, it can actually help us. Let me give you another one. Another kind of wise part of our culture that we're in is our culture actually is quite anti-racism. By and large, it's quite anti-racism. That's a, that's a wise thing to be, isn't it? Is everyone with me? And like that, can, that can really kind of help us. I mean, even, I've got to qualify a little bit, but even the environmental awareness... I mean, when I went to the States in um, September, October, they just, it's like, you guys, they're kind of going, you guys have like a recycle bin that you put out once a fortnight? Like, what's that? I mean, they know what it is, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, they don't do anything like that. And the guy I was, I was driving around with, he was, he was having this conversation with his wife, and I'm just kind of going, this would never happen in Australia. Because there's just, the environmental awareness thing is kind of happening in Australia. And that's, there's a wisdom to that. But here's, here's a trick, here's what I want to throw out to you. You know that you're growing in wisdom, not just when you're doing the things that culture does, but when you're doing things that culture doesn't do, all right? When you're growing in those areas, you're actually growing in wisdom in a really significant way. Let me give you a couple of ways or a few ways that you can see that you're growing in wisdom. Here's the first one. You're able to take rebuke and criticism. I mean, that's, that's wise, right? I mean, I've talked about it here. That's, that's part of the deal with me uh, doing my research study at the moment is I've got to stand up in front of people who are going to criticise me, you know? And when I did my research proposal a while ago, it was a special one. I thought we are going to get two men and a dog, you know, maybe six people in there. And, like, there was 25 people there because there was all these people interested in what I was doing and they all had something to say about what I was doing that wasn't quite right. Now, wisdom there at that point is being able to stand there and to listen to people giving criticism and rebuke in a helpful way and being able to process that and actually take that sort of stuff on board. How do you go with rebuke and criticism? Here's another way that you know that you're growing in wisdom. You don't fall for the lie that boundaries are not good. You know boundaries are good. And you don't even need to know why the boundaries are there sometimes. You just go... That's okay. It's a good boundary. I mean, how many of us have probably said, God, why did you put the rule in about the two trees in the garden, right? Well, an expression of wisdom in that is like, well, we don't, it's okay. Well, we can ask the question. But you know what? At the end of the day, if God says something's not a good thing to do, we'll just go, yeah, well, we won't do that. And we don't always need to know why. We don't always need to know the reason why we don't do it. We don't always need to see the positive benefit of that. If God says don't do something, wisdom just says, okay, well, that would probably be a good thing to do. How do you go with falling for the lie that boundaries are not good? What about this one? Evidence of growth in wisdom can be seen in the fact that you don't fall for the lie that missing out on your desires is a bad thing. You have these desires inside of you and you just go, it's all right, I don't need to have that. 
Like that's wisdom, right? It's like I don't need to have that. Like in the middle of those desires being so strong that you want to do something or you want to say something or you want to go somewhere, you just go, I don't actually have to go there. Wisdom says I'm going to be okay if I don't actually fulfill those desires. I'm not going to be missing out. That's wisdom, isn't it? Because temptation, big time, is just going, you're going to miss out if you don't get this. There's something good. And dead set, we live in a culture that just says that over and over again. That Christians are kind of the fun police. All right? It's like you just take the rules out of, the rules are there and you take the fun out of everything and you're just missing out on good stuff. Now, wisdom's going, no, we're not actually missing out on good stuff and I'm not falling for that. What about this one? Are you a, um, a self-skeptic? I mean, I think one of the wisest things I've ever heard, I remember, I can't even remember who it was, but I was sitting talking with someone and this person said this. They said, this is what I think about that. They were talking about themselves and something that was going on inside of them. I don't even remember the topic, but I remember what they said after that. But I'm not sure, I may not be seeing myself clearly. And I just thought, man, that is an incredibly wise thing to say. Because the dead set, I tell you, a whole bunch of our trouble and a whole bunch of our problems come from the fact that we think we see ourselves clearly, we see the situation clearly, and then we make a pronouncement about what we think and we end up in a whole bunch of trouble. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A little bit of self-scepticism, I think, is a really wise and healthy thing. And you know why? Because there's not one person in this room that sees themselves clearly. And there's not one person in this room that sees all the evidence that they need to see to have an opinion. This doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. You can have an opinion, but it just needs to be a little bit tentative. There needs to be humility alongside that. Let me give you a couple of low points when it comes to wisdom. We, as humans, as people, the Proverbs say, are uh, like dogs who return to our own vomit. This is a low point of wisdom, isn't it? I mean, this is folly, isn't it? Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I mean, sadly, that's true, isn't it? About humanity and its fallen state. We just keep doing the same dumb stuff. We think that by doing the same thing, we'll get a different result. Have you seen that? I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen it in yourself. It's like, no, it'll work this time. Just go, well, it didn't work last time. And it didn't work the 20 times before that either. It ended up in the same result. Why do you think it's going to be different this time? I didn't know that it would happen to me. Have you heard that one? <laughs> I didn't know it would happen to me. I used to say to students in the school, a fool learns from their own mistakes and a wise person learns from everyone else's. Like, I don't know how many times I heard in the school students say something like this you don't really learn unless you make the mistake and learn from it and i just go well you're a fool i didn't say it to him but you're a fool that's a fool isn't it why do you have to make your own mistakes to learn something is anyone with me we we look at things sometimes let me give you a couple of other kind of this is kind of a low ebb of, of wisdom i'm really talking about folly Humanity thinks that slavery looks like a good thing sometimes, don't they? And I'm not talking about the slave trade. I'm talking about anything that would trap you, any sin or temptation that would trap you and you would get stuck in it. 
I'm talking about going to the shops. I'm talking about opening the fridge. I'm talking about looking at porn. I'm talking about anything that just gets you trapped in there and you become a slave to it. Like how many times in your life as you, ref- as you reflect back, have you looked at something and just gone, that looks pretty good. And you look at it, you just kind of go, oh, oh, there's a good chance I'm going to get stuck in that, but I think I'm just going to go there anyway. And, and slavery kind of looks like a good thing. You know, there's a way that sin moves from affection to affliction, isn't it? And so what's Paul doing in Ephesians 5? He's persuading people to live wisely. He's working really, really hard. This is what the whole of the book of Proverbs is about. Can you duck across to Proverbs chapter 4 with me for a minute? Proverbs 4, <clears throat> verse 10. You know what? The whole of the book of Proverbs is, is a persuasive kind of father trying to persuade his son, his children, to live humanly, to live wisely. Proverbs 4, verse 10 to 14. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. So, you know, I think one of the things that's happening in the book of Proverbs, and I think Paul's doing it a little bit, is like, how can we make wisdom and human living the most attractive that we possibly can? How can we make it visual? How can we make it kind of evocative? Um, because what's going to happen is temptations are going to come along and the first instinct that people have about temptation is usually going to be wrong. You know the, the proverb that says, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man and, and in the end it leads to where? To death. So your, your first kind of response is probably not going to be the right one. And, and the, the, the father in Proverbs is kind of saying, be wise let me let me just talk about this in a way that makes obedience look really really beautiful and i would ask you that today if you're a a parent if you're a friend how do you make obedience look beautiful because i think that's what proverbs is about it's it's about making obedience look beautiful it's about saying this is what ed Wells says he goes you're just gonna love this how do you do that how do you make wisdom? It's like, you're going to love this. This is going to be so, so good. It might actually hurt a little bit at the start, but this is going to be awesome. Rather than saying, well, you know, God says you're supposed to keep your pants on before you get married, you know, and, and not have sex with someone else. And you, you should make sure that you don't do that. And it's like, yeah, I know, it feels a little bit like God's holding out on you. Do you get what I'm saying? As opposed to going, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be beautiful. I mean, this happens in the counselling office, right? This happens in my, when I, when I do pastoral care and counselling with people, like there's some things that just feel hard and it's like, you, you just feel like you need to put them out there because they're biblical and they're, they're good and right. But the question mark is, how do you present that to people? You present it as, look, I'm really sorry about this, but this is what God says you've got to do in that situation rather than just going, this is going to be so good. You, you just haven't looked at this the way that you need to look at this. This is going to... This is going to be awesome. If you get a hold of this, this is going to be the best thing ever. Temptation says to us that we're being kept from something good. The savvy father in Proverbs, the savvy father and mother, the good friend, now says don't believe it. 
don't believe it. And let me just leave you with this as we go on to the second point. Um, how can you help others around you to live humanly? When you think about God's commands in the Bible, do you think about them begrudgingly? It's like, well, I've just got to lay it on you, man, and it's, I know it's, it's rough, but it's just how it is. Or do you just go, this is going to be awesome? Because <laughs> God is the most amazing Father and He has good things for you. All right. Understatement of the year, alcohol does not make people wiser. <laughs> Any amount of alcohol does not make people wiser. Now, it doesn't always make people stupider, all right? Depends on how much you drink. But at a base level, we're saying alcohol does not add wisdom to anyone. <laughs> is everyone happy with that? It just doesn't. It's either it adds nothing or it adds stupidity. That's kind of what happens. You've seen it, all right? You've seen things that have been associated with the abuse of alcohol here's what we know is associated with the abuse of alcohol increased risk of significant health problems the earlier you drink the greater the risk of future alcohol problems including dependency you're more likely to be sexually active earlier and have sex more often unprotected sex which i'm saying is not what culture says is unprotected unprotected sex is sex outside of marriage who's with me Two of you. Excellent. Great. <laughs> Another uh, risk uh, coming out of uh, alcohol use is you're more likely to be a victim of violent crime, rape, aggravated assault and robbery. And I think alcohol is a much bigger problem in our society than what we think. Can you go to Proverbs 23 for me? Such a vivid little passage on alcohol in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, starting at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Listen to this. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. I mean, the connection between drunkenness and debauchery, as connected by Paul, is clear. I mean, even just think for a moment about what alcohol does to reduce someone's shame and make them start to do dumb things. I mean, that's one of the things that alcohol does, right? It's like a social lubricant, right? We can just kind of get in there and we're just, alcohol kind of gets in, in there and then our inhibitions kind of come down and then we start doing dumb stuff. We start doing dumb crap. And Paul, in contrast to that, says, let's not be drunk but let's be filled with the Spirit, which a lot of people go, which one? Vodka, gin, whiskey or brandy? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But think for a moment, this is a strange association in one sense, isn't it? It's like, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So I want to throw three 
possible reasons your way about how these two things are connected and why they're connected for Paul. This handsome Greek god is Dionysus. Dionysus. Thank you. Dionysus, check this out, was the Greek god of wine. All right? And here's what would happen. There'd be pagan cult celebrations. And this uh, god was uh, pretty critical to these uh, pagan kind of cult celebrations being the god of wine. They would hold uh, orgies that included heavy intoxication of wine. I, uh, I've even uh, I heard a preacher speak about this one time. He talked about how they had kind of bowls to go and vomit in so you could... So you could just get as much wine in you as you could and then you go and vomit and then you go back and you drink more wine. Because what would happen is that drunkenness would cause this God to enter and fill the worshipper's body so that he or she would comply with the deity's will. That's what they actually believed. So you know, the catch is like you get blind drunk and you get close to God. Do you see that? Can you see what Paul's saying here? Possibly how that might actually connect in to this Greek God, he's like, no, you don't get close to God by being blind drunk, you get close to God by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you don't just go into some weird kind of drunken rant, you sing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, you get close to God by being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who helps you to cry out, Abba, Father. Now some of you might go, glad we don't do that anymore. Or do we? Perhaps we don't see it as part of a Greek religion. But I want to suggest to you that we're probably as religious about alcohol as much as they were. Alcohol has got a really significant part in Australian culture. All right? And I was going to show you the, uh, the Budweiser Super Bowl ads, which are real... I mean, they're hilarious. All right? I find Budweiser ads really funny, but that's the whole deal with beer and with uh, alcohol advertising is it's just kind of winning winning you and kind of sucking you in um, and it's very much the case in Australia I mean you want to see the quintessential expression of male kind of culture in Australia you go to a Carlton ad or a VB ad or a Forex ad it's kind of all over the place and then we get to um, sporting culture I'll get to the Tim Tam one on the left there in a minute. You get the sporting culture and you've got VB all over things, you've got Forex all over things, and then you actually had Tim Tams a little while ago were making alcohol-flavoured uh, Tim Tams, all right? So it had Tia Maria in it, they made Kahlua-flavoured mint slices, Arnott's did, and you just think about that. I mean, ultimately what you've got is you've got kids eating that stuff and just getting a familiar kind of taste for it. You just better believe that there's way more alcohol culture going on for us than what you think, all right? Uh, there's a researcher um, who did some research and actually found uh, it was quite startling the number of people that didn't even drink alcohol. And it's like everyone in Australian culture just kind of thinks everyone drinks alcohol and you're a bit weird if you don't drink it. This was uh, from the Melbourne Cup just recently. This was the ABC... On, uh, it's off the ABC's online news service there on the 7th of November um, 2017 and some people commented on the Melbourne Cup Day because the ABC news site invited commentary on Melbourne Cup. Listen to this. I work in hospitality and Melbourne Cup Day is one of the most soul-crushing days to work. You lose all faith in humanity. 
Another person said, racing combines everything terrible about our society in one event. Gambling, animal cruelty, materialism, women as ornaments, drinking to excess. Another person said, despite my absolute love for the fashion hoopla and my passion and dedication to making the wackiest hat every year, today I said no. Today I said, I put humanity above entertainment and I'm okay with it. I mean, I could keep going. I mean, you could have read the stuff on this, on this website and you look at that and you just go, that's, that's where it ends up. That's where Melbourne Cup ends up. And you look at that and you just go, does that, like seriously, is that what you think of when you think about someone being truly human? And it's happening right now down on the Gold Coast. Listen to this from the 16th of November, 2017, in the Courier Mail, right? Because some of you are going, debauchery, right? No, okay, right. Uh, biblical word, no, Courier Mail word on the 16th of November, a couple of days ago. Debauched delinquents, delinquents are at it again. From tomorrow, you'll see them cavorting on the Gold Coast, smashed out of their immature brains, yelling abuse, being vulgar and attacking police officers. There'll be vomit, blood, tears and more than a few unwanted pregnancies. The other certainty is the seniors of 27 check out of school today and more than 20,000 of them beat a path to the beach is that you'll hear one of two refrains. Firstly, that the youth of today is going down the gurgler and dragging the country's future with it. Secondly, that schoolies is a rite of passage, a well-earned cutting loose after the shackles of high school. Both would be wrong. Let's start with the second. A rite of passage, by definition, involves rituals and teachings designed to strip individuals of their original roles and prepare them for new roles. Drinking until you pass out and other types of reckless behaviour is not preparing young people for anything other than being a giant pain in the neck at best. At worst, lives are compromised and even destroyed. Take the recent social media craze, Neck Nominate, in which people post clips of themselves downing booze, including whole bottles of spirits, then tag others to do likewise. The craze, believed to have originated in Australia, surprise, surprise, that's in there, has claimed at least a dozen young lives around the world that we know of. Ritual worthy? I don't think so. And neither will prospective employers when they check social media before hiring. Yet drinking games are part and parcel of schoolies and many celebrations thereafter involving so-called adults. They're part of our culture, apparently. We're more like the great God than what we think, right? Second one. Is there anywhere else, like as you just think now, you just go, is there anywhere else that connects drunkenness and the Holy Spirit together in the whole Bible. And you know what? It does in the early church. Now, you probably might have expected Paul to say, don't get drunk with wine, drink less. <laughs> but he says, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. What he's really saying is draw resources from the Holy Spirit. In an ongoing way, get life and power from Him. This is another alternative about why Paul is actually connecting these together. And I think it's a good one. You know, the Spirit brings an exhilaration that others try to get from alcohol. Uh, quickly duck across with me to Acts 2. So the Holy Spirit gets given at Pentecost. And, and people there start speaking in other tongues. 
And look at what happens at the end of this story. Other tongues means they started speaking a foreign language that other people from a different country could understand. And look at what happens right at the end after the Holy Spirit has come and actually has done something amazing. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. (laughs) The effect of the Spirit is significant. And the effect of the Spirit has has a physical kind of effect. And so the Spirit can actually do things in people where you just go, man, this is really unusual. This is really weird. But what's Paul possibly saying here, I think, is to say, get the exhilaration that others try to get from alcohol. You get that from the Spirit. You be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. And the last one, the last option for you. So the first one is uh, there's there's an allusion to the Greek God. The second one is be filled with the Spirit and get resourcing and power from Him. The third option, I think, uh, and I think all of these are biblical, the third option of why these two things show up for Paul is, um, I think, there's maybe a little bit of Sondergeld's added in this one, I think being wise is hard enough without having to put drugs in your system. (laughs) Be wise, be careful. Like anyone here needs to add a degree of difficulty to being human. (laughs) You with me? It's like, yeah, let's do that. Like, we're all having enough trouble and we've got a big enough challenge as it is to operate humanly. The last thing we need is to add some drugs into the mix on that, right? Now, it's important at this point in time to say that we at the project here and the elders at the project, we are not anti-alcohol, all right? We are not anti-alcohol. We are absolutely (laughs) anti-drunkenness because we're pro-humanity. We are pro-humanity. And getting drunk does not enhance humanity, it erodes it. That's what it does. A mate of mine, I was best man for his wedding, but before he became a Christian, one of the things that would happen for him is he would get drunk regularly, and when he was drunk, he would chase cars and bark like a dog. All right? Now, that's funny, and I thought it was a bit funny, but that's not human. That's not human. That's, that's been an idiot. You've, you've taken some wine, you've turned into an idiot, man. Like, you, you are not acting humanly at that point in time. And it's all, it's all well and good for a laugh, right? But it's, it, that's sad. Is anyone with me on that? Like, that's really? Like someone made in God's image that's meant to worship Him and honour Him, who's meant to be a light that we looked at last week, to everyone around them chasing a car like a dog? Paul says, don't do that. Be being filled with the Spirit. Keep being replenished. As though the cup, the level in the cup goes down, you keep being filled up by the Spirit. And it'll have a physical effect. Don't get power and strength by alcohol. Let's be people who are filled with the presence and the power of the Spirit, hey? And not, not filled with, with wine and with alcohol. Let's do that by prayer. Let's pray. Let's ask God regularly to fill us to the top. It's, let's be filled with the Spirit by being close to God and walking closely with God by feeding on His Word, actually just making sure that it's just like, man, I'm, I need a top up today. 
like getting up in the morning and just going, I need a top up. I'm just not going to be able to run on what I had yesterday. I need the Spirit to kind of fill me up again. Let's sit down and we'll pray and we'll ask for His presence to be real in my life and we'll seek nourishment from His Word. Let's be those kind of people.